Hey guys, this is Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer and host of The Investigation. We're taking a break from the show for a while, but be sure to stay subscribed. We'll be back with the new investigations and updates, especially as the 2020 election heats up. If you can't get enough investigation news, we've got another podcast for you. It's called Start Here, the daily news podcast from ABC News. Each day, Start Here will take you to the biggest stories with insightful, straightforward reporting. We're going to let you listen to this morning's episode right here. And if you like what you hear, search for Start Here and hit subscribe. Here's Start Here. It's Friday, August 2nd. And if you didn't think tariffs affected you, that might have just changed. We start here. President Trump announces new taxes on Chinese goods, but these are the ones you buy at Walmart. We've uh, taxed China on $300 billion worth of goods. With Wall Street on a roller coaster, what is the game plan from the White House? You know, Democrats did not like him much, but what do they think about the previous president? He should have been much more forthright in that and basically made every one of their attacks an attack on President Obama. What two debates and a new impeachment push tell us about the party. And Alexa was already your DJ, now she could become your nurse. She can ask whether I want to discuss my symptoms with my doctor's office. As companies hire Amazon to handle your healthcare, who's looking at your chart? From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. If you were watching the stock market a couple days ago, you would have seen this nice, gentle rise in the morning. The Federal Reserve was meeting, and they were expected to do the thing President Trump had been calling for for months. The Fed acted too soon. I turned out to be right. They acted too soon and too violently. We've had nine increases. He wants them to lower interest rates. It makes borrowing money cheaper. That means for regular folks, but also for big businesses. Stock markets love rate cuts. Well, sure enough, the Fed said it is going to lower those rates. But they said, we're not doing it to juice the stock market. We're independent from the White House. We're doing it because we see issues down the road with China. You know, let me be clear. What I, what I said was, it's not it's not the beginning of a long series of rate cuts. I didn't... And as they announced they weren't doing more of these rate cuts, at least not for now, stocks plummeted. Well, fast forward to yesterday morning. Everyone's recovering. The markets are up again. And then the White House announces, you know those tariffs where we add taxes on stuff coming in from China? Well, we're expanding those. President Trump on Twitter announced he's placing a new 10% tariff on $300 billion of Chinese imports starting September 1st. And this dwarfed whatever you saw on Wednesday. The Dow plummeted more than 500 points in a couple hours. And the real difference between this and other tariffs you've heard about is this is all stuff we buy. Pajamas, sweaters, jewelry, golf balls, televisions, cigarette lighters, fishing tackle. I mean, all of these could rise 10% at your standard supermarket. Let's go to ABC's senior Washington reporter, Devin Dwyer. And Devin, here's my question. The president says all the time, I want a healthier stock market. But the stock market hates tariffs. Why did he do what he just did? Well, he also says, Brad, he wants to be tough on China. China has been raping the United States. That was his word. And he knows, this administration knows, that right now, because of the strength of the U.S. economy, uh, they have some buffer room. And they will take a hit on the stock market, as we've seen. This isn't the first time the market has plunged based on a decision uh, or a hinted decision coming out of this White House. So they know they have a little bit of wiggle room. But the big surprise was that the president uh, hit the start button again on this trade war. Uh, We've uh, taxed China on $300 billion worth of goods and products being sold into our country. And 
China eats it because they have to pay it because what they do is they devalue their currency. It was just a couple of weeks ago that he hit pause. He had a nice meeting with President Xi of China. Uh, his negotiators were over in China this week. The tariff fight has seemed to subsided for a little while. I don't know if they're going to make a deal. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't care. You know, the president's taken so much heat from some of those Midwestern states, the farmers, uh, mm. even as he's tried to help them out uh, over this tariff. He's headed into political season. Uh, so there was a thought, uh, particularly on Wall Street, in the in middle of the country, that this was sort of going to subside for a little while. But you know what, Brad? He took some heat that he would all of a sudden softened on China. Big question now, though, is will he actually follow through? Well, yeah. What is like the long put me in President Trump's mind for like the long term play here? What is he his grand vision for if these all work out, China, what backs down? I mean, what does that look like? Well, this has been a long running feud between the United States uh, and China on the economy over uh, intellectual property rights, trade imbalances and the like. We won't get too far into those economics. But actually, there's a lot of bipartisan support for taking a really tough, hard line on China. The only problem, uh, our presidency changes over. The Chinese, President Xi, he's going to be there a long time. I was going to so say, give me the bad news here. He, he might wait this out, and I think Donald Trump is sort of running into that right now. He's frustrated that there hasn't been more movement from the Chinese, more give and take. I think if China had their wish, they'd wait till after the election. They'll pray that Trump loses, and then they'll make a deal with a stiff. Somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. So what we saw in the past 24, 36 hours is that the president is back at it. September 1st, hell or high water, we're going to have a higher tariffs, a tax on $300 billion of Chinese goods. It's going to hit all American consumers. Those products are going to get a lot more expensive. Business is going to pay more for those imports. But, (laughs) Brad, we've been here so many times before where he issues these threats and then he backs off. I'm totally willing to close the border, but Mexico of the last four days has done more than they've ever done. We saw it with Mexico shutting down the border. We've even seen it with China. He backs off. So we'll see if he can extract anything out of this round of threats or whether we actually are headed for another round of tariffs in just 30 days. Yeah, the argument from the White House is often, yeah, if stuff isn't coming in from China, we will start building that stuff in the U.S. Only problem is factory takes a little bit longer than 2020 to build. Uh, Devin Dwyer, thanks so much. Thanks, Brad. At the Democratic debates this week, President Trump was, of course, public enemy number one. But as they wrapped up, several party veterans started asking, wait, does that make President Obama enemy number two? I must tell you, I was a little surprised at how much incoming was... uh Throughout these jousts, former Vice President Joe Biden has been challenged to defend the Obama administration on criminal justice, on deportations, on health care, to which people like Biden are saying, what, am I taking crazy pills since when did Democrats hate Obamacare? Voters want to know how you're going to be different than another four years of Barack Obama. On immigration, for instance, what are you going to do differently from Obama? The world has changed since Obama. And here's the deal. I'm, this is about the future. It's about taking the same kind of integrity and moving beyond it. Well, yesterday he spoke to our own Mary Bruce. So did Kamala Harris and others. And she asked them, who is your real beef with here? Let's bring in ABC's chief political analyst, Matthew Dowd. Because, Matthew, we had Republicans saying, I mean, you would have thought Obama was a Republican based on the way these progressives are talking about him. Have Democrats overstepped? Well, they've way overstepped. And I think strategically... The approach of many of the candidates was just completely off. Did you say those deportations were a good idea? 
or did you go to the president and say, this is a mistake, we shouldn't do it? Which one? I was vice president. I am not the president. I mean, first I off, if you think about it, Donald Trump has a 90% unfavorable rating among Democrats. Barack Obama has a 90% favorable rating of, among Democrats. And to me, going on the attack on Obama policies or the Obama presidencies or things yeah. they didn't like. First of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. Is completely the wrong tack to take among Democratic voters and then lead that into swing voters. They should have spent much more time bringing the questions back to criticisms of Donald Trump and basically celebrated Barack Obama. Isn't an Obama attack, though, if, if you're just saying, you know, we can do better than these older policies? Because, I mean, Obama wanted a public option. Obama originally said he'd prefer single payer. So, I mean, is this just kind of how debate works? Well, it's how debate it's how debate works if you were not in a Democratic primary where the people that are about to vote love the president and overwhelmingly support Obamacare. Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. And the second thing, I actually think really Joe Biden could have been much more forthright and basically say, I am not going to sit here and stand for you to criticize the record of the president of the United States that I serve. He should have been much more forthright in that and basically made every one of their attacks an attack on President Obama. Hey, is this related at all to something like the impeachment debate? Nancy Pelosi was saying, you know, we're going to look really dumb if we go too far too fast. And yet even since Robert Mueller, a couple dozen new Democrats are on board with impeachments. Now, half the Democratic caucus is the whole party just pushing too hard. Well, to me, the, the, the march towards impeachment is actually a, a different context, which is I actually think there's a political strategic advantage going towards holding impeachment hearings and moving towards impeachment. We have to get to critical mass to move forward expeditiously with an impeachment inquiry. And I think we're running out of time. One thing to keep in mind is 42% of the country and 80% of Democrats want the president impeached. That is much higher than it ever was before the hearings of Richard Nixon, and it's much higher than it ever was even as the hearings started. And I think there's a lesson, that the wrong lesson has been learned from the Clinton impeachment. It's, it's if the Republicans think they suffered badly in that, they didn't. In, in a matter of fact, in the presidency, presidential election and the immediate aftermath of that, they won it. And you're against a president that's already unpopular. Keep in mind, when they took impeachment to Bill, to Bill Clinton, he was a popular president. This is an unpopular president. I'm not saying they should move towards this, I'm saying if they're weighing the politics of it, I don't think there's a huge downside for Democrats to start pursuing impeachment. And we're continuing to see the numbers rise. In the meantime, it's just this fundamental divide among the candidates. Do they want to go back to the Obama years? Is that the goal? Or break that wheel entirely? Matthew Dowd, thanks a lot for the analysis. Great to be here. Thank you. Next up on Start Here, a Navy SEAL says we have a problem and it's in our own ranks. At three in the morning, Korean time, U.S. military leaders announced for the third time in a couple weeks, missiles had been launched from North Korea. Short range missiles. We never made an agreement on that. I have no problem. We'll see what happens. But Once again, they splash down in the ocean, and these are not missiles that could hit the U.S. They're not even the new type of short-range missiles Kim Jong-un has been developing. But it reminds you just how ready 
the American armed forces have to be. Well, back here in the U.S., we have seen a flurry of concerning headlines recently. This was a mass arrest that no one in that Marine Corps battalion at Camp Pendleton will forget. Last week, more than a dozen Marines were charged with smuggling people and drugs across the border for cash. Just yesterday, another Marine was charged with allegedly waving his pistol around and killing a colleague. And that's just the Marines. Other branches are having their own challenges. ABC's Elizabeth McLaughlin is at the Pentagon. And Elizabeth, we're now hearing concerns, what, among Navy SEALs? What's going on? Yeah, Brad, this was a letter from the head of the Navy SEALs who is concerned about a series of events uh, that have really plagued the SEALs, uh, a misbehavior, problems that he says may not be cultural, but acknowledges that there is an issue with good order and discipline. In a rare move, an elite Navy SEAL platoon has been ordered home for alleged drinking of alcohol during their current deployment to Iraq. Some of the examples that have come up recently uh, was an entire Navy SEAL team that was sent home from Iraq back to San Diego after allegations of sexual assault and heavy drinking of alcohol uh, while they were deployed. There was a story about SEAL Team 10. Operators who were abusing cocaine and other banned substances and stated that they often defeat military drug tests and told investigators uh, those tests were a joke. And so these are very troubling stories that have come out in recent weeks. And the head of the Navy SEALs is now saying, uh, we have a problem. When I feel like there's often this push and pull within people who say, you know, these SEALs, they're heroes, and a part of you who says, yeah, but they're also just people. So how is this being viewed within the military? Is it a concern? I think it's finally becoming uh, more talked about and not as dismissed. My first question, I want to focus on uh, what appears to be a troubling trend uh, that we are seeing with the Navy Special Warfare Command. We heard uh, from the Chief of Naval Operations, who was just confirmed yesterday, uh, Vice Admiral Michael Gilday. And he was uh, talking to senators who were asking him these same questions, very concerned about these stories. And he said, you know, we have to deal with the root causes. And ensure if there is a problem with the culture of the community that that is addressed very, very, very quickly and very firmly. Okay, so you got the people who are worried about conduct. You got people, in some cases, abusing their positions. But then you've also got concerns about institutions letting down the service members, right? The Air Force is essentially about to take a day off just to focus on this epidemic of suicides. Yeah, this is a really sad story. The Air Force is uh, dealing with a, a high number of suicides. 78 of our brothers and sisters have given up on life this year alone. 78. And General David Golfin, who's the chief of staff of the Air Force, put a letter out to his commanders uh, saying that if something's not done, they're going to end the year with over 150 suicides. Uh, that would be about 50 more than last year. Those are really staggering numbers. We lose more airmen to suicide than any other single enemy, even more than combat. So they want to take a, an operational pause where every single uh, unit will stand down. They will not continue with normal operations, and they'll just tackle this issue, start to talk about uh, suicide and other mental health issues in these units, and maybe find uh, more effective ways for leaders to deal with this crisis. 
And that's not even the only crisis. The Pentagon estimates about 20,000 service members were sexually assaulted last year. And this week, the Senate Armed Services Committee heard from the nominee for the second highest ranking Joint Chiefs position who has denied allegations of sexual assault himself. Senator Martha McSally, who once shared her own unrelated story of being raped while serving, she said there was no merit to these allegations against this nominee. But Elizabeth McLaughlin tracking all these concerns at a very busy Pentagon right now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's not hard to figure out that Amazon has big plans for its automated assistant, Alexa. New deals will launch as often as every five minutes, including deep discounts like $50 off the Echo. Amazon Prime Day had a bunch of deals this year. Its biggest ones were for that voice automated system. Amazon wants these things in your homes. It clearly thinks this is the future. And as this trend has developed, there's been this other trend in the world of medicine. Healthcare experts increasingly say telemedicine is the gateway to the future. No more clipboards or waiting rooms. You get diagnosed from home. You can do your checkup on a screen. And now Alexa has been approved by several healthcare providers to be that gateway. But if Alexa knows about your health, who else does? Janet Ray Dupree has been digging into this for California Healthline with our partners at Kaiser Health News. And so, Janet, I mean, what can Alexa actually do? Well, a couple of months ago, um, Alexa got uh, what's called HIPAA compliance. She basically uh, has been determined to uh, be able to handle our medical records safely and securely. So if I opt into a program, say I have diabetes... And I want to keep track of my blood glucose levels, but I don't want to have to write it down every time and you know lose the log or something like that. I can uh, check my blood glucose levels, instruct Alexa what my level is, and then a couple hours down the road, I could say, Alexa, what was my last blood glucose reading? And she'll tell me. Uh, oh, see, and you can literally say, hey, here's my numbers. And then eventually you could even say, hey, send that information to my doctor or something. Exactly right. Okay, so that's where we are right now. That's the system that's up and running for some healthcare providers. But, I mean, analysts say in three years, you're going to have more than half of American households with a smart speaker inside. So, I mean, take me inside that future. What does that look like in three or five years? What we're going to be seeing is an Alexa that, again, if we opt in can listen to the sounds that we're making and propose certain actions. So say she hears me doing a lot of coughing and sneezing. If I have instructed her to keep an ear out for that sort of thing, she can ask whether I want to discuss my symptoms with my doctor's office. Or way down in the future, you have the possibility that Alexa will be able to listen to the breathing of a patient, uh, a shut-in at home, and tell the doctor's office if it detects something that's called agonal breathing, which can precede a heart attack. Or it can detect that there maybe has been a fall in the home. There are some new privacy concerns about Alexa devices in millions of homes. Twin lawsuits in California and Washington accuse Amazon of recording millions of children without their consent. But wait, I can hear you keep saying opt in, opt in. Amazon knows when I buy dog food. Amazon knows what kind of deodorant I like to use. I mean, is it weird? Is it sketchy that Amazon could now know if I've got heart issues or that I'm depressed? Well, that's the thing about the HIPAA compliance. 
you cannot, as a company with uh, HIPAA restrictions on you, uh, save that information and manipulate that information for other purposes. Basically, the HIPAA compliance means that uh, Alexa can only use the data for whatever transient need is required. She can't store it and she can't provide it over to her parent company of Amazon and say, hey, by the way, you know, Janet's got diabetes. Uh, Janet's got this going on and that going on. That sort of information is not being relayed directly to Amazon and it's not being stored at Amazon. It's intended to go between you, your doctor's office, and to be secure in that transmission. And yet more and more we're seeing Americans feel like you just have to operate on the sense of trust uh, with credit card companies, with hotels. And just earlier this year, we learned with Amazon, humans were listening to Echo devices for voice recognition training. Amazon says there are safeguards in place to make sure they can't figure out who owns the device that they're listening to. But they're there. Janet Ray Dupree from our friends at Kaiser Health News. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And one last thing. We've talked about trade with China. Well, remember earlier this year, there were worries of a trade war with Mexico. And immediately, one of the products that freaked people out avocados from Mexico was the avocado. Why don't you have avocados? And even though those tariffs did not materialize, avocados have had a rough year. Mexico's crop was weak. There was the California drought a while back. And avocados are more popular than ever. So prices have skyrocketed. And now in Mexican restaurants, you're seeing this new thing. Guacamole with imposter avocados. That's right. Instead of avocados, chefs on both sides of the border are starting to use the cheaper Mexican squash. It's still green. The recipe still has some kick. But the food blog LA Taco was outraged by this, shocked and appalled. So they did a taste test. They could barely tell the difference. They said the taste of squash amole or whatever you want to call it is eerily similar. But if you're anti-squash, what's a diner to do? Well, you might have to start asking the kitchen, does this guac have avocado in it? Or here's the word you got to learn, calabacitas. And experts say the new crop of avocados is supposed to come from Mexico this September, and that means cheaper prices. Just wait. Start Here is produced by David Rind, Josh Cohan, Tara Gimble, Kelly Therese, and Lauren Efron. Thanks to Elizabeth Russo, Jeff Fitzgerald, Abe Velez, and Stacia Deshishku. I'm Brian Milkey. See you Monday.